Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. If you missed any of the live broadcast, you can catch us on the podcasting platforms and also up on a number of platforms like iTunes, of course, and Spotify, iHeartRadio, if you have a smart TV, but also up at Spreaker.com. If you type in Alternate Current Radio, into the search bar you'll then see where the acr mothership is this contains all of the programming for the alternate current radio network that's all of the shows all of the episodes you'll see all the most recent episodes on the episode tab but you can go and listen there as well they also have a nice handy app for listening uh, on speaker as well but uh, that will be up there after the show now, our next guest uh, is a writer, best-selling author. Uh, he's joining us on the live link now from Southeast Asia. And uh, we're going to be talking about an article that he published uh, just a few days ago on 21st Century Wire about the Philippines. Something historic has taken place. President Duterte has effectively given the United States its marching orders after threatening to do it many times. He's, they seem to be going through with it for the first time. And this has massive implications, and we're going to discuss that with our guest on the line right now. Andre Vilcek is joining us on the live link. Hello, Andre. Hello, Patrick. It's great to be back on the show. Great to have you. Great to have you, Andre. We've been following your exploits on social media, and uh, you are racking up uh, quite a few air miles, of course. So <laughs> we'll hope you get a frequent flyer ticket <laughs> pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, get many of them. Otherwise, how could I do all that? <laughs> but uh, but Andre, uh, this, what's happened in the Philippines? And I know you you have a history in the Philippines. Obviously, we saw you reporting there in 2017, where Duterte and the Philippine Armed Forces were at simultaneously having a mutiny and fi- fighting off ISIS at the same time <laughs> in the island of Moari. And uh, you've returned there recently, and it's no less fascinating of a of a place. It's no less dynamic. What's going on there right now? Uh, just give us a little background of of your history with this part of the world, and then tell us what's happening now. Why it's so significant? Well, yes, I actually live. Uh, Southeast Asia is one of the places where I'm based. Uh, I live in Southeast Asia, in Latin America, in Santiago de Chile, and uh, also in Japan. So uh, my uh, involvement uh, in Southeast Asia goes back 25 years, approximately. I'm an Indonesianist. Uh, uh, I wrote books, made films about. Uh, Indonesia and uh, this part of the world in general. Uh, Philippines are extremely fascinating part of the world and I have been coming back there for many years, especially after President uh, Rodrigo Duterte was elected a president. Because as we all know, Philippines is uh, one of the, uh, used to be one of the closest allies of the United States. Some uh, would even say almost a colonial it was actually a colony of spain and both spain and the united states but uh, after uh, the independence uh, philippines became something of a new colony there were constant exercises between uh, united states forces maritime exercises all sorts of exercises us uh, had a huge uh, 
Air Force Base uh, at Clark, about 100 kilometers, uh, 65 miles from Manila. And everybody who knew this country realized that uh, nothing can move without the agreement uh, of the of the United States. And now suddenly after President Duterte was uh, elected, things began evolving in a very different uh, direction and uh, Many people were skeptical that anything can change at all. Many people thought that President Duterte, who is antagonistic to uh, to the West, to the United States, to, to Western imperialism, even to the Catholic Church, the people were skeptical that he can actually achieve anything. Uh, they were saying, well, he will go back and forth, back and forth, and at the end, uh, he will always continue uh, working with the, United, with the United States. And after all, uh, most of his military top brass were educated uh, in different parts and military schools in the United States. His elites, uh, Filipino elites, uh, are extremely close to the to the West, particularly to the United States. So there was a lot of skepticism about uh, President Duterte and his uh, resistance against the uh, Western domination of his country until last week when suddenly uh, he sent the letter uh, to President Trump and he uh, single-handedly cancelled the uh, the agreement about the joint exercises with the United States. Very important move uh, until the last moment. It was not, uh, people were not certain that uh, the letter will arrive. It did arrive and everything changed uh, very fast and uh, it appears uh, uh, permanently. And so th think about this, uh, Andre, this is not happening uh, in isolation. This is also happening at the same time that uh, the Philippines is in much closer uh, talks and, and coordination with, with China diplomatically, um, economically. There's also talk of uh, China financing uh, some of the infrastructural needs that uh, the Philippines has. But there's also the issue, of course, the South China Sea. And so th this move by Duterte, is this going to be seen as a direct provocation to Washington because they're in the process of trying to, quote, contain China as, as a policy uh, of Washington? Yes. Yes, of course. And uh, uh, actually, the United States was using the Philippines for uh, uh, many years and its uh, provocations against uh, China. What is very interesting about this, and not only Philippines, of course, the entire Southeast Asia. So the, there was a big pressure from the United States on the countries like Indonesia, like uh, Vietnam, and of course the Philippines. And so uh, this is uh, this was supposed to actually justify the United States uh, moves to uh, uh, increase the military presence in the South China Sea in the entire uh, Asia Pacific. They were saying, well, look, China is actually uh, becoming more and more uh, powerful. It's dangerous. Uh, uh, it's stronger and stronger militarily. And the smaller countries like the Philippines are actually going to suffer. Well, uh, what actually happened is already for several years, I was discussing this with the 
uh, academia in the Philippines, including several professors uh, from the UP, uh, University of the Philippines, one of the most important uh, academic institutions in Southeast Asia. So, you know, professors like uh, Edward Tadem, um, uh, his wife, Tessa Tadem, and um, Uh, Roland Simbulan, other great academics from the region. And I was already very surprised to hear from them years ago, maybe two, three years ago, that uh, actually uh, China has uh, uh, more rights to the South China Sea and disputed Spartly Islands. And uh, that actually it is the United States which is provoking the conflict uh, and pushing the Philippines into the confrontation with the country which is a natural ally uh, or should be a natural ally of the Philippines. And that's what uh, obviously was also a thought of President Duterte who began intensively working with the Chinese and suddenly it was obvious that uh, two countries can find the common language. Uh, Two years ago, President Duterte called China the kindest nation on earth. And he keeps uh, calling China its natural ally and uh, so on and so forth. And obviously it works. China also began uh, to uh, compromise. Uh, They softened their position. And uh, it appears that there is no reason for any military confrontation whatsoever. Uh, Another thing that is not really Uh, discussed in the West too often is that Vietnam, uh, a historic adversary of uh, China, although also a fellow communist nation, has been studying all this and uh, there were delegations going back and forth between Vietnam uh, um, and uh, the Philippines and it looks like uh, Vietnam is watching very, very closely what uh, uh, the Philippines uh, are doing and that uh, actually there is a a very realistic uh, possibility that uh, conflict over the Spartly Islands and uh, so-called South China Sea uh, uh, conflict could be resolved uh, multilaterally without any uh, without any military or, or confrontation and without any uh, international uh, legal uh, arbitration and so besides the military component obviously the US if if they're not in the Philippines uh, they've lost a, one of their beachheads there but there's other access points into countries like the Philippines like Vietnam like Indonesia, like Malaysia, and that's through soft power or smart power through through NGOs, through through academia. Where, where are the schisms in terms of pro or anti-U.S. in a country like the Philippines? Where where do the fault lines lie? Yes, and here is the big problem. You are exactly touching the the issue, which. Uh, is the biggest problem in Southeast Asia. The soft power of the West, not only of the United States, but especially the United States, is extremely uh, powerful. They are talking about the poor countries like the Philippines, uh, like Indonesia, and uh, academia in these countries, the art community, and all these people, the, the press, of course, mass media, are funding hungry uh, they they are starving for for 
you know, handouts from the United States government, from the from the NGOs, uh, from all sorts of institutions. And uh, the funding is actually very substantial. It is a career, a very legitimate career today to uh, be antagonistic against China for the people in Southeast Asia, in the poor countries like Indonesia or Philippines or the Philippines, but also in the much richer countries like Malaysia, which I actually also described in one of the reports uh, uh, for 21st Century Wire. It is such a big issue that I actually wrote a novel about it. It's called Aurora and it is available online and it actually talks about how the funding is done, how uh, entire thousands of people, thousands of artists, intellectuals, uh, academics are living, uh, journalists are living from uh, the money that comes uh, even from the cultural institutions that you would never think about. Very legitimate European cultural institutions operating in in uh, Southeast Asia, but then of course also uh, uh, from the uh, predator and dangerous uh, uh, political NGOs that are funded by the United States and the United Kingdom and others. So um, soft power is very powerful. And if you go to the uh, if you go to the academia, uh, for instance, to you know uh, to, to legal department uh, and some people who are supposed to be dealing with the issues of Southeast Asia, South uh, China Sea. Sorry, uh, these um, some of these people are extremely antagonistic to President Duterte. And they would never utter one uh, critical word against the uh, U.S. policy. And uh, even if uh, uh, you press them and you ask them about the, whether the U.S. is uh, pushing uh, uh, the government of the Philippines, they would snap back at you and they would say, well, we are sick of and tired of uh, hearing this because uh, we are an independent country. We have our own brain. We know what we are doing. And so and uh, so on and so forth. But in reality, many of these people are uh, on the playlist uh, of the of the foreign nations, and they are their job is to antagonize uh, China as much as they can. And in terms of well, it's it's similar, and I, I guess you could draw a comparison. You know, in the United States, and let's say for the last election. Uh, you have all of academia, you have all of the mainstream media, uh, you have all of the NGO sector, the, the third sector as they call it, all of the sort of the high level finance, stock market, that industry and so forth, all supporting Hillary Clinton in 2016. And, but, the, the, but she didn't have the popular support required to win the national election. In the Philippines, you have a similar dynamic where Duterte is definitely a populist of sorts, a bit of a hybrid. Maybe you could explain that, but he's a bit of a hybrid character in terms of his policies. But but he does command a significant uh, approval rating nationally. So you have these high-profile institutions, the artists, the media, you have the you know the celebrities, you have the influencers on, on, on all these platforms, but it, that's not enough to overcome the popular support that Duterte has. Uh, just speak to that point a little bit. Yes, well, uh, during my 
last four visits, uh, I actually I didn't only spend time uh, with the academia or with the artists or, uh, or in the war zone of Marabi on the island of Mindanao. I also went to the slums. I went to the cemeteries. You know, there are huge cemeteries in Manila uh, where people live. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people live on the, in these cemeteries. It's mind-blowing, and it uh, exists already for decades. So, uh, you know, these were places uh, uh, full of uh, uh, drugs and crime, uh, very violent crime. The murder rate was uh, so terrible that, uh, you know, once uh, I had a driver, he said to me, uh, uh, just uh, my daughter came home crying because uh, she was walking through one of the uh, these poor neighborhoods and there was a head lying in the in a ditch, you know. I mean, Philippines had some of the highest crime rates in the world, like on the level of uh, Central America, for instance. And people had enough and they didn't, uh, they were governed by the elites, by the um, by the presidents, by the administrations, which had absolutely no interest in the suffering of the majority of the people. And the country basically collapsed. You know, it's uh, it uh, was exporting uh, uh, millions of women who were going to all parts of the, all corners of the world, basically risking their lives, being tortured, being molested, you know, in the Gulf, in the all over Middle East, uh, in Europe, uh, whatever, just to make ends meet, working as, uh, 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 you know, with servants, as uh, uh, maids, as uh, babysitters uh, uh, all over the world. And uh, and this was, the situation was absolutely horrific for the, in the, uh, in the country. The poverty rate was uh, close to 50%. Uh, uh, and some would say over 50%, uh, or similar to that in Indonesia. And uh, suddenly somebody came, you know, and they can call Duterte a populist in the West, but uh, somebody came who really cared about the situation of the country and who uh, was determined to improve uh, to improve it. Duterte is a hybrid. You are absolutely right. He is a socialist, uh, self-proclaimed socialist. Uh, in the same time, he is a populist. Uh, he has all sorts of elements, but uh, he uh, is doing all he can to to raise the standard of living of the country, and it is reflected in the. Even in the UNDP Human Development Index, which is uh, not always, of course, accurate, and it's again the Western way of calculating things, but uh, it just shows how uh, uh, Philippines uh, uh, are growing compared to a country like Indonesia. You know, it's already several points ahead of Indonesia, and there were times when it was uh, on an equal footing. With Indonesia, so now in uh, the Philippines, uh, are uh, the standard of living is uh, uh, improving. Uh, Duterte made education all the way to university level free. Uh, it's unprecedented in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, he made uh, medical care free. You know there is. All, there are all sorts of reforms. There is like a maternity leave, like very similar to that in uh, um, developed countries uh, in Europe. He's reforming the public transportation, housing, 
uh, he made uh, his people, uh, not him directly, but he, his people made moratorium on mining and uh, plundering of natural resources on Mindanao, which was on the same level as what is happening in uh, Kalimantan or in Sumatra in Indonesia, and where it is going on and on, it's getting worse. In the Philippines, Mindanao blocked uh, uh, new concessions uh, for mining, and Duterte um, said that uh, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want his country, you know, he doesn't want to rob the resources from the uh, future generations. As we speak, I think it was yesterday, he also blocked the private companies uh, from uh, building in Manila Bay, uh, new reclaim uh, land uh, uh, projects. He said they are going to choke the capital. I'm not going to allow these private companies to do it. So most of the uh, most of the politics that he's doing are actually socialist. Now, if you talk to the uh, if you talk to the again intellectual elites, they will tell you, well, you know, economically uh, this polit- uh, economically still still allowing capitalism to rule, but his social politics are uh, policies are often socialist. So it is a mixed bag. But it is definitely tremendous departure from uh, what was happening. And people understand it. They see uh, changes. You know, there is one thing that you can see on the paper or, or in academic refor- or reports. Or, and the other thing is when uh, your life is improving in front of your own uh, eyes and you have a president who cares about, uh, uh, about you as a citizen. So Duterte has 87% popularity rating. That's unprecedented. That's like uh, the best moments of Evo Morales in Bolivia. Uh, And, uh, you know, despite all the controversial issues like war on drugs and uh, also not going uh, uh, far enough or quick enough to to implement uh, all uh, imaginable social and socialist uh, changes, still the popularity is tremendous because uh, people see that he's working very hard uh, on behalf of the uh, of the Filipino nation, and I see it everywhere in the slums. The people will tell you in the slums, in the cemeteries, they will say, "Look, the crime rate is declining." We have all sorts of new programs for medical uh, uh, posts. We have uh, new schools, all this. You know, in uh, Qatar, in Dubai, uh, in uh, Beirut, I talked to the ladies, the the, the um, uh, mates, and I asked them about Duterte, and it happened to me so many times, they start to cry. They say, my God, this is the first time in my life that I'm proud to be a Filipino. Wow. And this this is very powerful. Yeah, that is. That is. Now, um, how this this uh, argument began with Washington was was really over uh, the war on drugs issue. I think this was a cabinet member from the Philippines or a former cabinet member was denied a visa to enter the United States. And so this set off, this triggered Duterte, and he's he's famous for his, uh, let's just say, honest uh, quips off the cuff that sometimes include profan- profanity. So he, he went off on one, as he has done on previous U.S. presidents. And, uh, yes. <laughs> but he called, he called Obama son of a bitch, right? I mean, yes. let's be... 
Yeah. Bank. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is what, what triggered him this time. And, and so the, this is the big critique from the West is the uh, abrogation of the rule of law in the Philippines in, in this war on drugs. So many people have been killed, etc. So you spoke to quite a, a fairly decent range of people in the Philippines. What, what, what is the general view on this issue in the Philippines uh, in terms of this, how he's prosecuted this unprecedented, you know, Force uh, against the uh, drug drug traffickers and and dealers and even users. In fact, so you know, more I uh, look into it and I talk to hundreds of people, literally, uh, more confused I am about the entire uh, situation and the statistics that the West is uh, amassing. First of all, of course. Uh, there is a war on drugs, and there is uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, brutality there, and uh, uh, drug pushers are being sometimes rounded up by police. Uh, they, uh, but there is also a lot of fighting between different fractions, and. Uh, my feeling is that uh, very often the Western NGOs are, uh, tend to uh, put everything to one back. They, they uh, just uh, keep running statistics and they say, okay, 8,000 people probably more got killed since Duterte came to power uh, in a war uh, on drugs. But what does it mean, really? Is it that uh, the police is just uh, running, uh, driving around with tanks and shooting at people? No, I mean, there is a, there is a conflict going on, internal conflict uh, of uh, uh, narco mafias. Uh, there is also uh, there are also paramilitary uh, groups, of course, undeniably. There is police uh, involved, and there is uh, some killing uh, as well. But what you hear from this 87 percent of the supporters of Duterte, they will tell you, look, I mean, we are the country of more than 100 million people with one of the highest crime rates in Asia. And one of the highest murder rates. Now, if you look at what happened before Duterte, there was killing going on uh, all the time, day by day. Uh, You know, thousands of people were dying anyway every year, uh, being killed uh, through drug-related assassinations. But nobody was talking about it. It was just a common... uh, uh, knowledge that this was going on. But since Duterte came to power and since his close relations to uh, with China and to Russia, uh, suddenly he became, uh, you know, uh, uh, antagonized by the West and called uh, almost a mass murderer. Now, Duterte is, uh, uh, Duterte, just to make sure that we understand what's going on, he's not riding on the motorbike with the machine gun in his hands and he's not shooting people, uh, you know, rotting, uh, you know, drug addicts rotting in a, uh, in a gutter. He's a, you know, his health is not very good. He probably cannot even ride a scooter or a motorbike and he cannot probably even shoot the machine gun. So it's a rhetoric. He's a, he's a Visaya person. He's not a 
Tagalog, and it was uh, in, uh, explained to me uh, in Mindanao that this is how they speak. Well, you son of a bitch, I'm going to blow up your brain. If you are not going to uh, stop using uh, drugs or if you keep pushing drugs, I will come and I will kill you. It, it doesn't mean any of this. I mean, he doesn't do these things. Now, is he? does he have a policy? It's just how they speak, you know, in Mindanao very often. Not everybody, but some people. Well, and uh, uh, is there a war on drugs? Yes, there is. Is it uh, is it clean? No, it's it's dirty and uh, people do die. But is it eight is eight thousand people really the number of people who died because of the police, uh, uh, you know, atrocities? No, it's I think it's a, a entire conflict of one hundred million people in inhabitants nation a conflict between the, the narco mafias between the uh, police and uh, uh, narco mafias narco mafias uh, against each other Nar- uh, narco mafias against uh, against the uh, users so um, i think it it's just totally exaggerated uh, in the West, but unfortunately, also uh, it is exaggerated in uh, uh, in the Philippines uh, mass media and by uh, very often by academia and others. Yes, yeah, it, it, it's um, it's it, it's definitely used as a battering ram uh, from from the West that that particular issue because it has all the the human rights organizations will will jump on board on that issue as well. So that, I, I consider that Andre part of the smart power soft power complex uh, is is those issues like that certainly. But as you said, Andre, that's one of the most densely populated places uh, on the planet, and when you have a systematic problem like to that scale there there are going to be no easy no easy answers or policies in order to clean up situations like that it's just not going to be clean and i think you have to face that that reality because we have other situation totally uh, different extreme in mexico right i mean a country which suffered so terribly from uh, uh, you know, narco mafias and uh, drug trade and all this. And uh, Obrador's uh, uh, approach is different. He basically, you know, he let even some narco mafia bosses and their children go because he said, look, it's not really, it's not, he didn't say that, uh, it's not our problem, but that's actually what uh, he uh, uh, showed that uh, he's not interested to sacrifice the entire nation just uh, fighting the uh, drug wars. Let them. It's between the United States and narco mafias and uh, um, so on. So it's totally different approach. Is it working better in Mexico uh, or in Philippines? In the Philippines, uh, it is early to say because both countries suffered tremendously from. Uh, from this problem and both countries are using absolutely the opposite approach so it's good to study both uh, uh, you know both uh, uh, governments uh, how they deal with the how they deal with the problem and uh, I guess uh, at the end to choose uh, uh, the better way both are trying both are with the people and it's difficult I don't want to over speculate because uh, I probably want to ask you this question and get get your on the ground firsthand experience. But this the the battle. A lot of people, some people picked it up, but a lot, you're probably one of the only people who are on the ground covering the uh, the Philippines fight against ISIS. 
uh, back in 2017. I saw your reports. They're incredible. Obviously, we, we've linked to some of them on 21st Century Wire. But if you could just uh, explain, because is it, for me, over-speculating? Because I'm looking at that situation. You're on the ground, and there was a lot going on. You could probably tell us a little bit about what you experienced. But do you think that, that there, there was an imported jihadist element uh, from the West uh, in order to try to destabilize and to create, um, you know, conflict and you know schisms within the Philippines by inserting radical uh, militant uh, jihadist element there and flying the ISIS flag because as as we know from the num from the ISIS so-called ISIS members there, a lot of them were Islamic extremists, but there was Indonesians there, there were other people from Southeast Asia, not so many Arabs, of course, but do you think that that was, a, the timing of that was suspect? Uh, because this is when Duterte was trying to basically, you know, break free of the uh, the neoliberal chains, as it were, uh, in 2016, 2017. What, what was your estimation of your from your experience on the ground there during that fight? Uh, yes, uh, you're absolutely correct. And uh, actually, this uh, Marawi uh, uh, crisis uh, set back reforms that Duterte was, uh, I think, ready to implement. Uh, it was a warning. It was slap uh, uh, his hand or face. And I told you an anecdote, actually, about Marawi, and I can repeated to your readers, to, to your listeners, because it's very uh, significant what happened. Because uh, I went to Marawi to cover the conflict, and I was not allowed to uh, go to the battleground. I was arrested and uh, disappeared in the barracks uh, outside of Marawi. And uh, uh, my friends in Manila contacted the general command of the of the Filipino army and the pro Duterte fraction uh, actually gave order to release me immediately uh, but uh, there was some sort of mutiny they refused to release me so I was rotting there for until three in the morning until finally uh, they were uh, uh, ready to escort me to Cagayan de Oro and they had to give me basically a four-wheel drive and uh, armed vehicle, and we had to stop in a hospital. They examined me that I was not tortured before I was released. Um, the next day, I was actually uh, contacted by Manila, by, by headquarters of, uh, of the military, and they asked me to come back. And they said, look, I mean, uh, we, uh, we are sorry what happened, but would you be willing if we provide transportation and uh, uh, conduct and all this? And I met, uh, I said, okay, yes, sure. And uh, there I was greeted by General Ray, who was very, you know, supportive of, uh, of President Duterte. And uh, uh, I was taken straight to the position from where we could see the jihadis, uh, the ISIS, the snipers. Uh, an Australian uh, journalist was hit there a couple of days before uh, I was allowed to be there. But why am I telling this uh, anecdote is because uh, in Moravia was explained once again that there are two fractions of the military in the Philippines. One was pro-Duterte and one was very much pro the United States. And these were people who were trained in the United States, who were regularly flying to the United States to be 
to be uh, you know uh, told what to do how to think and so on and these two fractions are not at peace with each other and this is happening until now now in Marawi there were uh, Arab fighters not as many as uh, Southeast Asian fighters you are correct there were Indonesians there were also Malaysians but uh, there was also some sort of uh, I was never told this directly but uh, there were emphasizing that are probably Uyghurs from uh, that you know that uh, operate also in Syria and uh, uh, elsewhere uh, and uh, the the Uyghurs that the West is uh, uh, actually uh, trying to train so they could uh, uh, in the worst battlefields so they eventually can return to China and uh, disrupt the uh, BRI um, and uh, the Belt and Road Initiative of uh, President Xi. So it was very complicated, everything in, in Marawi. But in any case, uh, Duterte was uh, uh, Duterte was uh, given clear message from the West what may happen if it doesn't uh, fall back uh, into line. And he didn't. He didn't really accept uh, the he didn't really accept uh, uh, this dictate from the West. But he uh, definitely uh, slowed down his, he had to slow down his reforms. And then what was the result? What, what is the situation like uh, on Mindano right now, the, where, where the fighting was taking place uh, before? Is it uh, stable? Is the, is the threat constant? How is it's, it? relatively, it's relatively stable, but it is uh, also there is a big uh, reconstruction of uh, uh, reconstruction going on. I met uh, the social affairs uh, uh, person who worked with Duterte on the on the social affairs for a long time, and she said that she showed me the reconstruction efforts of uh, housing uh, there for the fighters the, uh, and uh, and so on. So there is, I think, it's quite optimistic. Uh, it's quite optimistic uh, situation there right now, despite, of course, many problems. So, so he's a he's a quite uh, complicated character, uh, as you described. Um, the Duterte is, but uh, you know, what, what, what's your just before we before we wrap up? You know, what's your estimation of the man, just based on what you've heard and seen? You've obviously spoke to people who are you know, working under him and with him, uh, and you've spoken to a lot of people in the country how they feel about him. You know what the both sides think. Uh, what 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 do you think about him as a person? Um, he's quite a unique. He seems to me like quite a unique character. Look, I uh, work all over Southeast Asia, and I see uh, absolute misery in so many places that uh, uh, the West is trying to portray it as actually progressive and uh, and tolerant and. Uh, uh, you know, as tigers and whatever. Of course, uh, I mean Indonesia, and but also uh, I'm talking about places like Thailand. And I uh, really think that uh, in uh, this person, this president of the Philippines, President uh, Rodrigo Duterte, is an honest man who is making many mistakes but who is honestly trying to improve the situation in his country and improve the standard of living of his people. He needs, he wants his people to be healthy, educated, 
well housed and well fed and so on. I um, am convinced about that. Now, does he do it in the correct way? Always no. He makes mistakes. He goes back. He tries again. Uh, he has so many forces against him. You know, even, uh, you know, I'm very close to the uh, to Marxism, I'm, uh, to communism. But he has problems, with, I have to say, he has problems with the Communist Party of uh, in the Philippines, you know. Uh, it's uh, it's not a Communist Party like in China or a Communist Party like in Vietnam. It's it's a quite a, a unique uh, species of uh, mainly Maoist and all this. And he's uh, uh, in uh, conflict with them until now. And uh, it tries to find a way how to make a peace, but it's not, uh, it's not so easy. The Muslim... Um, uh, elements uh, also not easy. It's a spe- it is uh, uh, not like in the Maravi days uh, right now. But of course, there are movements in Holo, so- uh, Sulu. You know, there are uh, uh, potential uh, insurgencies there in, uh, around Zamboanga, uh, on Mindanao. Uh, you know, even in Maravi itself, he has many oh, people in the Philippines with power who are trying to derail him. The elites, entire oligarch, you know, the groups of oligarchs, you know, the, the enterprises that were uh, before controlling the entire country. He has many enemies, but he has this 87% of, of the of the people and he uh, relies on them and they rely on him. And they would uh, go all the way to hell or to heaven with him. They would support him. They would fight for him. If something happens to him, there would be a civil war. And uh, I really think there is a reason for it. Uh, The reason is that uh, uh, for the first time in centuries, these people realize that there is somebody up there in in the government who is fighting for their lives, for improving their lives. They were brutalized. They were terrorized by the Spaniards. They were murdered by Americans. You know, Americans killed close to a million people uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. And it's not even mentioned in the history books, in the uh, history books, uh, school books, textbooks of the Philippines. And he's changing all this. Duterte is trying to recall the past, to uh, readdress the, or revisit the past. He tries to... uh, uh, explain to his people what was done to to them by the colonialist powers, including the United States, and they understand. They 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 know that uh, uh, the fight is on for better Philippines, for better Southeast Asia, I guess, and they uh, they will always support him for as long as he lives, for as long as he is their uh, uh, president. Uh, so. Criticism, yes, he can be criticized. There are errors he's making. Uh, he is trying to correct them and so on. But I think the the general course is correct. General course is to 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 pull out all these millions of people out of misery, to educate them, to give them health, uh, and uh, to give them future. And and he's all he's also. I mean. Th- I was shocked to see him take on the Catholic Church because that's t- traditionally been a you know a, a real sort of stronghold in the Philippines that institution uh you know beyond reproach right and he's the first he's the first person I've ever seen in that country 
much less any other country, go go full on uh, and challenge the church. I mean, that's pretty. You know, it's, it's it's incredible. Look, it was absolutely untouchable institution before. Like Indonesia is, you know, majority is uh, Muslim. You cannot touch Islam here. You cannot say anything about Islam uh, uh, negative. You know, you end up in prison uh, just for the slightest thing. In the Philippines, uh, the Catholic Church was uh, totally untouchable. And suddenly, uh, you know, he pokes at uh, everybody. The Pope visited Manila and uh, Duterte uh, began yelling at the national uh, at one of the t- uh, radio stations. He said, I'm not going to allow Pope to come back because I'm sitting in this damn uh, traffic jam, you know, I mean, and he's a, uh, but uh, he did worse things. I mean, he said basically the, the God, uh, he insulted God. He said, uh, if the, no, God really exists, he must be really stupid. And then uh, he, what else did he do? I mean, uh, you know, he was molested as a child. He was molested uh, by the Catholic priest. He has very traumatic uh, childhood, and uh, he doesn't really have very high opinion about the whole institution of the of the Catholic Church. But this shows also his uh, outspokenness uh, shows that uh, how popular he is because in the predominantly Catholic, a very often fanatically Catholic country, uh, the Philippines, suddenly people are uh, choosing him over this, you know, untouchability of the of the Catholic Church. They were told somebody who would say things like that 10 years ago apart if, if somebody would dare to say it. But they take it from him, they tolerate it. And uh, do you think, do you see Filipinos as being prosperous uh, if they become closer aligned with China economically, politically? Do you think that's going to bring uh, some you know, visible benefits in the coming decade, let's say, for the Definitely. Philippines? China and Russia together. Uh, and, you know, Putin is very popular in uh, the Philippines, and Russia is becoming quite popular. So China and uh, Russia together uh, could totally change, uh, in, uh, totally change the country. Don't forget, uh, the Philippines were the richest country in uh, Asia Pacific after the Second World War. This decline was graduate, uh, but uh, really incredible. The way the Philippines uh, declined can be only compared, I guess, to the decline of Argentina in uh, in Latin America, one of the richest countries on earth, basically getting to the very, uh, you know, to the point when like forty percent under Macri were were poor. So uh, there is great hope, yes, that uh, changing the direction from capitalism to socialism and from uh, uh, from uh, the United States and the West to to Russia and China would, uh, you know, again bring prosperity uh, to the Philippines. But it's not going to be easy because they are not going to, it's not going to be easily allowed uh, by the oligarchs, uh, the Filipino oligarchs and by the, and by the uh, United States and uh, Europe to just, uh, for Philippines to, uh, uh, turn on the dime and uh, totally change its uh, foreign policy without uh, without fight. There will be a lot of uh, 
uh, attacks against Duterte to come, or to his, uh, if somebody comes after him with the similar or same approach towards the foreign policy, there will be lots of attacks, lots of lots of intimidation, uh, uh, dirt being thrown to to his face, to his uh, to his allies, and so on. It's the and I think he is ready for it. But uh, whether uh, people who will come after him will be as strong as uh, he is, uh, has to be seen. But there is a great hope. China, uh, of course, uh, can do miracles. China uh, is now pulling out Laos, a country which was carpet bombed by the United States and Australia to the Middle Ages, you know, during the so-called secret war. Um you know, Laos, that was reduced to one of the poorest countries on earth, is being now pulled out from misery by China. New cities are being built, high-speed trains are being built, you know, new factories, new hospitals. I wrote about it a lot. So they can do anything. They can pull out the poorest country on earth and they can turn it into the, uh, you know, middle-income uh, uh, a nation. So, of course, uh, the Philippines, uh, if they work together, the Philippines can uh, uh, benefit tremendously because Duterte basically said that the United States was just uh, plundering the place. He used different expressions, but it was plundering the Philippines for for decades uh, and decades. So it cannot really get worse. Yeah, yeah. Chris, Manila, a lot of people will say crawling with CIA uh, spies and uh, front companies, front NGOs, and just uh, and, and USAID organizations. Entire, entire Southeast Asia. You yeah. cannot imagine what is happening in Vientiane, uh, in the capital of Laos. I mean, all these four-wheel drives of the NGOs, wherever China... And Russia come close to to pulling country out of uh, misery. Uh, you know, you can bet that instead of uh, you know building factories and schools and hospitals, the United States is, uh, and uh, and Europe are going to invest into the NGOs and uh, into spies and all that. Yeah. Well, this 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 is a pattern uh, we see all over the world, and so this was a good. Uh, good analysis of probably one of the most important case studies right now uh, in the Asia Pacific Rim uh, with the Philippines. But uh, we we will direct people to 21st Century Wire, and you can see Andre's most recent uh, feature about the Philippines. That's down in Andre's section. If you scroll down the page, you'll see that article. I do encourage people. Uh, great story, uh, great images as well. It gives you a feel of what it's like on the ground there. And we want to thank you very much, Andre, for staying up late. We know you're in a time zone that's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, well, Patrick, you made this story also very beautiful. I mean, using photos and all this graphically, very beautifully uh, uh, crafted. Thank you so much. It's always great to work uh, with and for the 21st Century Wire. Yeah, well, thank you very much, and uh, hope for safe on your travels uh, and journeys in this part of the world, and look forward to your uh, reports coming up, Andre. Yes, I hope to, to talk to you next week from Hong Kong. <laughs> that will be interesting. We're looking forward to that, what's going on in Hong Kong. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll get that report, hopefully, from you next week. But uh, take care, Andre. 
And uh, all the best. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Andre Vilcek, who is on the ground in Southeast Asia. And uh, you can also see his reports, as we said, uh, on our homepage at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's a link on the show page as well to his books. He's author of 18-plus books. Uh, you can go and check those out online. We do recommend that you check out some of Andre's work there. You might want to uh, pick up a few of those. We're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to connect our roving correspondent for culture and sport. On the other side, Mr. Basil Valentine, and we're going to get into the problem with identity politics and how it's ruining the discourse in the West. With Basil Valentine on the other side, I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. We'll be right back. 